you know what? I just, I just can't believe it is, it has happened again. Here am I in the middle of Colorado somewhere. Brenda, my GPS lady in the car, she obviously is not with me. It is blisteringly hot, and frankly, I, I've lost my bearings, and I'm, I'm not sure where I am. Some of you will know that I'm, I'm pretty good at getting lost. What happens to me is even when people ask, give me directions, I. I get really bored with listening to them. It's like my, my eyes glaze over. And so as a result of that, uh, it's hot. There's a, there's a desperate need for some water. And uh, I need to, to get some advice from someone who knows the way. Aha! Here it would seem hey. to be a, a Colorado chap. How you doing? Oh, good, man. But I, I, just, I just somehow got off of the path that I was on and... Frankly, I just need to get my bearings. Have you got a, like a compass or a GPS lady or something you can help me with? <laughs> you look really like you're tired. You've been walking it's hard. Been, and it's been a tough day, frankly, but yeah. here you are, like the angel of the Lord appearing. <laughs> well done. I, well, let me just uh, give you a couple tips. Okay. Because the one good thing about Fort Collins is that if you know where the mountains are, those big hills yeah, I know mountains. off to the side, yeah, like... if you know where those are, you can always know those are west. There's a west. And so if you're trying to find north, you just look to the mountains and you know that's west. Okay, so now that's west over there, which means that that is south over there. See, you are a good man. You are brilliant. That's actually horse tooth rock right horse there. Tooth. That's a unique okay. kind of a marker. So if you, if you can find that rock, Mr. Lucas, you can navigate your way around anywhere you, you want to go. You know, this is helpful because in my uh, snake catching expedition yes, that I've been I on. remember that. Uh, practical advice like this is absolutely vital. You know, as we're thinking today about being a salt and light people, Jesus wants us to be a landmark. He wants the world, which is undeniably lost, let's be clear about that, to not just hear some information, but to see a landmark people who are living out the truth of the kingdom. That's where we're going today in our message, and I'm going to go look for some snakes. And I just want to say, this is a man who once was lost, but now is found. I am so thankful that Pastor Jeff just happened to run into Pastor Derry out in the middle of nowhere. That was scary. Obviously, that wasn't filmed today. It is not frighteningly hot today, for sure. So... Thanks for coming on a cold Sunday morning, and uh, please just continue to pray for Pastor Jeff. He, I spoke with him yesterday, and, and uh, he's going to be okay, but boy, he has fought this hard. It's been tough on him and still recovering, so keep praying for him that he will recover completely. How many of you like going to the movies? Do you enjoy movies? love to go to movies, and my favorite kind of movies are movies that are based on true stories and, and are about like unlike unlikely groups of people with an unlikely leader who accomplished something that no one ever thought they could accomplish. They just go against all odds and they achieve something really great. Like uh, like the movie Hoosiers. How many of you remember the movie Hoosiers? About a tiny little town in, in Indiana and their high school basketball team. An unlikely group of people with an unlikely coach make it all the way to the state championship and win the game. Just an inspiring, inspiring movie. Or my favorite all-time sports movie, Remember the Titans. How many of you remember that movie? Yes, at a high school again, 
football team, their first year of integration, they have white students and black students, and they have to overcome racism to not only come together as a team, but to come together as friends, and they win the championship. I remember being at a men's event several years back. We chartered a bus to go to uh, a Rockies game, and on the way back, they played a video. They had the capacity to play videos. And so from Coors Field back here to Timberline, we watched Remember the Titans. And when we pulled into the church, the movie was longer than the trip. We pulled into the church, the bus driver stopped, opened the door, and nobody moved. We just sat there watching Remember the Titans. And then, who could forget the great movie, A Bug's Life? Remember that? True story. About a bunch of ants that were oppressed by grasshoppers. What are you laughing at? That's, that's really happened. And those little ants come together and stand up against the grasshopper. I actually cried at that movie. That one was... Especially moving. I think that's why I like the series that we're in right now, because we're kind of seeing a picture of something like that in what Jesus is doing in this series called King of the Hill, where he is is communicating about the kingdom of God. He is giving this clarion call to an unlikely group of people, a people who are oppressed to revolt. But it's a revolution like they've never seen before, a revolution they never anticipated, not like this. But that's what Jesus is doing. And we talked last weekend about the ragtag bunch of people who make up this revolution. They are unlikely people. They are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the meek and the peacemakers and the pure in heart. Not the kind of people, if you're recruiting people to start a revolution, those people aren't on the list. And yet this kingdom, Jesus says, extends to people like that. And those people, ordinary people, through them, Jesus is going to change the world. They're going to become history makers. And that's what we're going to talk today about is this idea of being history makers. Now, the truth is, from from most standards, the leader of this revolution also was kind of an unlikely leader. I love the way an historian by the name of K.S. La Tourette um, describes Jesus. Just listen to the leader of this revolution, how he's described. He says, here is a man who was born in an, in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held an office, never had a family. He never went to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He has turned over. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on this earth, a coat. And when he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humanity upon the earth as has that one solitary life. 
Isn't that true? And now 2,000 years later, we've gathered together in Fort Collins, Colorado on a cold morning to talk about him. To learn from his life, to learn from his teaching, to worship him, to love him, to journey in relationship with him. An unlikely leader led a group of unlikely people to change the world. And he still invites us to be part of that today. And the interesting thing that we're going to look at today is a very unlikely strategy to change the world. It was not a revolution like was expected by the people in his day. Look at Matthew chapter 5 if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 5, again, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 13. This is what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now that's a strategy very different from what was expected in Jesus' day. We've talked a little bit about kind of the four prevailing thoughts when it came to strategies for changing the world. If you're in the small groups that are, that are going along with this series, you talked about it this last week. There was a group of people called Pharisees. And their strategy to change the world was strict adherence to the law and traditions. And they kind of became the holiness police for everyone. There was another group of people called Essenes. The Essenes, their strategy was to isolate themselves, to remove themselves from the bad world and the systems of this world. And they lived in caves and deserts apart from the rest of civilization. There was another group of people called Zealots. Their strategy for changing the world was a violent revolt against the Roman Empire. And then finally, there was a group of people known as Sadducees and the Herodians. And their strategy was basically, if you can't beat them, join them. And so they just fully assimilated into the culture of their day, embracing the values of the culture and became invisible. And Jesus says none of those strategies are the strategy of the kingdom. And it's interesting that here we sit 2,000 years later in a world that is broken and in desperate need, as Pastor Jeff shared in the video, desperately lost. And even amongst the religion we call Christianity, there are strategies that are similar that parallel those that we just talked about. There are those who today would be similar to the Pharisees and their approach to the problems of the world in which we live is a strict adherence to a holiness code. That often is based largely on culture rather than the Bible. And they too become the holiness police, judging people, condemning people. And their approach is to shame and guilt people into behavioral conformity. There's also those who would seek to isolate themselves. Remove themselves into a Christian fortress where they never have to cross paths with anyone who believes differently than they believe. Then there would be those who kind of like the zealots just seek to bully people under the name of Christianity. And they attempt to use power and coercion and, and, and intimidation and fear to convert people to their way of thinking. And then there are those who in the name of being culturally relevant, fully assimilate into the culture, actually adopt the values of the culture and become invisible. No one would ever accuse them of being a part of a revolution because their life shows no difference than the world around them. 
To those people in Jesus' day and to us today, Jesus says that's not the way of the kingdom. So what is this way of the kingdom? Well, Jesus uses two metaphors to help us understand, to give us a snapshot of what this kingdom is like and how it's to be lived out. Those metaphors are salt and light. Salt and light. Now it's interesting, both salt and light are necessary for human life. Did you know that? We cannot survive as human beings without salt and light. There, there are many things that are accomplished in the physical human body because of salt and light. In Jesus' day, both salt and light were highly valued. In fact, if you study ancient Greek history, there was a period in Greek history where salt was actually called theon, which means divine. That's how they referred to salt. Romans, Romans believed that except for the sun, light, except for the sun, nothing was more valuable than salt. In fact, Roman soldiers, part of their pay was actually salt. It was called a salarium, which is where we get the word salary. Because these soldiers were paid partially in salt. It's also where the saying comes from, he's not worth his salt. Are any of you old enough to remember, or willing to admit that you remember that statement to say he's not worth his salt? That goes all the way back to this Roman custom of paying these Roman soldiers partially with salt. So here in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to, when he uses the metaphors of salt and light, whether Greek, Roman, or Jew, they all understood the high value placed on those two things. So Jesus' plan, his strategy for this this revolutionary kingdom is ordinary people becoming salt and light in the world. What does that mean? What does it mean to be salt and light? I want to give you three things. You can jot them down in your bulletin as we go along if you would like. The first one is that it meant a new identity. It meant a new identity. Jesus said, you are salt, you are light. He didn't say act like salt or be like light. He said, you are salt and light. This whole idea of the kingdom is, is that we become a new person in Christ. We take on a new identity. Jesus' strategy to change the world was to unleash on the earth a new humanity. A new people. To strategically place new creation people, which is what we are, old things pass away, all things are become new, a new creation people who love intensely, who sacrifice selflessly, and who serve joyfully. That was what Jesus envisioned in this revolutionary kingdom. A people who simply live the kingdom life with Jesus as king. Over them. When we live as kingdom people, we can't help but to influence the people around us that we meet, that we encounter, that we brush shoulders with. St. Francis of Assisi said, a very popular quote, he said, Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about. When we live as kingdom people, before we ever open our mouth, our lives announce the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of heaven has drawn near to man. And that seems to be Jesus' primary strategy. Sometimes when we think about changing the world, we think it has to be this huge program or big campaign. And there's nothing wrong with organizing efforts together. But the primary way 
that that followers of Jesus change the world is to live out our lives day in and day out with Jesus as our king, being kingdom people, with Jesus living his life through us. Because when he lives his life through us, we begin to treat people differently. We begin to prioritize things differently. We resolve conflict differently. We grow from selfishness to selflessness. We love differently. We value different things. We live for a different purpose. And we begin to affect the people around us. Now, I don't know about you, but the challenge for me is for me to live each day in a way that is consistent with who I am in Jesus. Because I have this other side of me that leans towards being self-centered and just being a jerk. And so each day I have this battle to say, will I live as the person I am in Christ? As part of his kingdom, will I be salt and light? Will I make sure my, salty, my, my salt does not lose saltiness and that my light is not hidden? See, we influence other people every day of our lives, whether we realize it or not. The question is, am I influencing people towards the kingdom or away from the kingdom? And if I can be honest and vulnerable with you, I've done both with my life. Not very long ago, a few weeks ago, I was pulling into the grocery store across the street. And I was coming from the east side down an aisle, and there was a car backing out. And so I stopped because I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere. I waited for this person to get out, and it was like a tight spot, and they were having trouble getting out of their parking space. And so I've stopped waiting there. I can't go anywhere. And, and a car comes from the south, and, and he has to stop because he can't go anywhere because I'm in the way. All right, so he's stuck, and I'm stuck, and we're waiting for this person to get out. We're just sitting there when all of a sudden this guy starts honking at me. And it ticked me off. Do you know what I'm talking? Does anybody else get ticked off for reason? And and so I'm in the car, the windows rolled up, and I'm going. You know how you nonverbal communicate. You want me to run over the car? What? And so finally I'm sitting there, and and the car backs out and takes off, and I pull into parking spot. It turns out that that he had his eye on that parking spot, which I didn't know, and he wanted to park there, and he thought I was taking his parking space. I thought he was just mad because I wouldn't move, but I couldn't move because there was a car. And so I pull in, and he pulls in. We get out of our cars. We start walking at the same time. I look at the guy, and I go, what is your problem? (laughs) Not kidding. And I said, I can't run over the car in front of me. And so we just, no, I'm just kidding. We didn't. (laughs) So some of you are going, cool, my pastor got in a fight. That's not cool. That's bad. And it all worked out fine. It all ended up fine. But I walked away from there going, why was that? Did I influence that guy towards the kingdom or away from the kingdom? Because bless my little heart, someone honked at me. And we all know how painful that can be. And it's just this tiny little thing where each day I have to choose, will I be salt and light? Or, or am I going to be all about myself and get all worked up because somebody honked their horn? It's a daily challenge. I read a, a little excerpt from a story just recently about a missionary to India. This guy's name was Gordon Maxwell. And he, uh, the, the account of the story said that he asked a Hindu man there in India to teach him the, the local language. And the Hindu man responded him by saying, no, I won't teach you the language for you will convert me to Christianity. And the missionary said, no, 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 you don't understand. I just want you to teach me the local language. To which the Hindu man replied, I will not, for no one can live with you and not become a Christian. Because of the way he lived his life and the way that he loved. See, one of the characteristics of salt we know 
is it induces thirst. The question for you and I to grapple with is, does my life induce a thirst in people for Jesus? By the way that I live, the greatest way I change the world is to just live my life as salt and light. So here's this plan, a new identity. He's going to change the world through ordinary people who become new creation people. And secondly, if you're taking notes, it meant a new proximity. Not only a new identity, but a new proximity. Now, here's what I mean by that, and it only makes sense. Our new identity is only influential if it's lived in the proximity of people. People have to experience our lives in the context of relationships. See, the primary purpose of salt in Jesus' day was to preserve food. They didn't have refrigerators in Jesus' day, and so the way they preserved meat was to rub salt into the meat, and that salt was a preserving agent for the meat. But the only way it worked was to rub it into the meat. The only way light is effective is for it to be displayed for all to see, not hidden under a bowl, as Jesus said. And so Jesus modeled this proximity. He modeled salt and light. He lived and served and taught in the proximity of people who needed truth. In fact, we talked briefly last weekend about how he took a lot of heat for being in the proximity of people because he ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and he touched lepers. People actually called Jesus a drunkard and a glutton. Because he hung out with people like this so much. Now, it wasn't true that he was a drunkard and a glutton, but they also called him friend of sinners. And that was true. And what an incredible title for someone who stands for truth, but to live his life so much in the proximity of others that he's called friend of sinners. If we could ever figure out how to do that, we would be salt and light in the world in which we live. And I love the response that Jesus gave to the criticism he received for hanging out with the wrong people. He said, you know what? It's the sick who need a doctor. So he offers up another metaphor, this medical picture, the sick who need a doctor. That was his response to the criticism. This is all about being externally focused. To be salt and light. It was an affront to the Essenes, especially of Jesus' day, and it's an affront to many Christians in our world today. One of the ways churches lose their saltiness and hide their light is that we become internally focused, we become focused solely upon ourselves. And unless churches are intentional about being salt and light, our natural drift will be to become about us about ourselves and we'll shine our lights brightly in each other's eyes until we're blind and we'll have such a concentration of salt that nothing can live here just like the Dead Sea was so full of salt just down from where Jesus said these words. It's very important that we get this or to use Jesus analogy of the medical field, we become healthcare professionals who won't see any patients. All sorts of things go wrong. When that happens, when we lose sight of what we're called to do and who we're called to be, we start seeing the church as a place we go to instead of who we are. And when that happens, we start seeing it as a place that exists to meet my needs instead of realizing we are called to meet the needs of others. 
We start believing that the church exists for me instead of the church existing to bring glory to God and to bless the world around us. And from there, it rapidly deteriorates into consumerism and self-centeredness that's cleverly disguised with spiritual language. I've seen it happen over and over to churches. And then churches begin to fight over styles of music and styles of dress and translations of the Bible and peripheral doctrines and a whole host of other things that keep us from changing the world. We lose our saltiness and we hide our light and it all it all becomes about us. The truth is we come we become accomplices to the darkness because no matter how we disguise it. We still just adopt the values of our culture and we make it all about me. See, inherent to the call to be salt and light is a call to be in the world. Not of the world, but in the world. We are salt and light, not so much when we're together like this. We're salt and light at the office and the classroom and the factory and the neighborhood and the restaurant and wherever else it is that we do life. Do you have relationships with people who believe differently than you believe? If we're not careful, we'll become an introverted Christian ghetto that's lost its saltiness and hidden its light. So the way Jesus changes the world is with the people who have a new identity, a new proximity, and finally a new responsibility. A new responsibility that we're called to. Here's that responsibility. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your what? Good deeds and glorify or praise your father in heaven. Peter repeated it later by saying this. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our responsibility is to do good. It's to do good. When I pastored a church in Colorado Springs, we adopted a motto. Our motto was to demonstrate the love of God in tangible ways with no strings attached. That was our motto. And we sought in every way that we could think of to demonstrate the love of God in tangible ways with no strings attached. And the key to that statement was no strings attached. And it was the hardest part as well. See, because we're not called to love people to convert them. We're called to love people because they're created in the image of God. And the demonstration of our love for people is that we selflessly serve. With our gifts, our talents, our resources, however we can, we demonstrate our love through our service. Solely because they're created in God's image. One of the great ways that you can do that, a great opportunity for you right now, in just a couple of weeks, we have Make a Difference Day in Fort Collins. We have a table in the mall. You can sign up to give a half a day or a whole day or whatever it might be to demonstrate the love of God in a tangible way with no strings attached just because we love our city and we love the people of our city. And so we're going to serve the people of our city. I hope that you'll sign up before you leave this morning. So the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount that we'll see over the next several weeks, the remainder of this sermon, basically, basically what it does is it expounds on what this revolution looks like in in various snapshots of life. That's what it's going to do. But the two metaphors we looked at today basically sum up the strategy. 
If we were to put it in a sentence, it might read like this. A new creation people living under Jesus as king, right in the midst of a broken world where we sacrificially serve the needs of others. That's Jesus' strategy to change the world. And can I just tell you that every time the church has lost sight of being salt and light, it's been tragic. All the way back to great tragedies like the Crusades, right down to churches that split over the color of the carpet and the placement of the organ. Every time we lose sight of our calling to be salt and light, things go bad. And we become self-centered and we become cantankerous and contentious. And we cease to change the world in the way that Jesus called us to change the world. So, are we ready for a revolution? There's no greater need, I would suggest, in all the world today than for the church to truly be salt and light, to live our lives in the way of Jesus. And as we close this morning in prayer, the prayer of my heart for our church is that we would resist the constant temptation to think that life and faith and church and everything else is all about us. That we would be salt and light people. And maybe it's just because I know what a battle that is in my own life. But my guess is I'm not alone. We live in a culture that tells us every day it's all about you. My prayer for us today, and I'm not even going to give an invitation to raise your hand because, because I, probably most all of us would raise our hands. And that would probably be really good for my ego and I could tell Pastor Jeff, hey, you know, I preached for you and everybody responded. But... <laughs> But the truth is, we all need that. I need my hands up. I want to resist the temptation to make life about me and to live a selfless life that is salt and light in the world. Because I think if we do that, if we just commit to do that, we could change our city. We could be history makers. We join me as we pray. Father, Thank you for this incredible sermon that Jesus preached 2,000 years ago that still is changing our lives today. And he said so much there that we could probably spend a whole year just letting it sink into our lives and studying it and let it explode with the truth that, that's there. God, I just come before you and personally acknowledge what you already know, and that is that in my humanness, my tendency is to lean towards me. It's to make things all about me. And I carry it over into faith sometimes. And I spiritualize my own preferences, my own likes and my own dislikes. And I lose sight of what it means to be salt and light. And I'm asking you, God, to give me strength. And my guess is there's a lot of people in this room that are just like me in that respect. Give us strength to resist the temptation to make life all about us. Help us to be kingdom people. Surrender to you. Dying to selfish ambition. Dying to our own selfish agendas. Dying to self, period. And letting you live your great, rich, wonderful life through us. Teach us to selflessly serve, to love the way you love, to speak truth the way you spoke truth, to stand for the things you stand for. 
Help us be salt and light in Fort Collins, in northern Colorado, in this nation and around the world. Help us be history makers, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? And in both auditoriums, I just want to invite our prayer team to come. If you want prayer for any need, our prayer team would love to meet with you and pray for you. If you have not given your life to Jesus and you want to do that, our prayer team would especially love to pray with you to just surrender your life to Jesus. They're coming now and so you can meet with them. Otherwise, I love you. Thanks for letting me speak into your life. God bless you. Be careful. It's probably still slippery out there, so drive safe. And uh, God bless you. Hope to see you this Wednesday night as we continue to unpack the sermon. And uh, the next weekend, Pastor Derry will be bringing the message. God bless you as you go.